now. Get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Well, happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, garden columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page, at Twitter.com slash FarmerFred, daily garden tips, lots of snark. The Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page where there is always a garden dialogue going on. By the way, if you uh, go there now, I think the latest post I did was a row of citrus trees at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. I should say it's a row of citrus bushes. If you have a small backyard and maybe along your fence line you want to plant some edible crops, edible permanent crops, well, what about... Citrus bushes. What's a citrus bush? Well, basically, it's an orange, lemon, lime, mandarin that's only six feet tall, maybe six feet wide. So you could plant it six, seven feet away from the fence and by pruning, keep it at a good size and still have room to get to the fence for when it blows down in a storm. That's important. But how do you do it? That's one of the things we are going to explore a little bit later on in this program uh, I paid a visit yesterday to the workshop out at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. We'll get some tips on growing citrus bushes. Also, we'll find out about uh, the, ni- the 2018 Master Gardener class they're now recruiting here in Sacramento County. And uh, a topic that is of uh, concern to a lot of people is, I have shade, I don't want to use much water. Are there any low water use shade plants? Yes, there are. And we'll talk about them coming up in just a few minutes. Also, it's uh, Tomato Day out at Morning Sun Herb Farm in Vacaville. We'll talk to Rose Lovell Sale and get the lowdown on uh, what's going on out there today. There's a begonia show going on at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center. We'll find out more about that. A garden grappler, too. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. So we've got plenty to do today uh, here on the Electric Radio Show, which is also available as a podcast. Hi, Brooks. Brooks is running the board today, as always. And uh, he pointed out that it's been a year now since uh, he started this job. And pretty soon this sentence will be over and, and you'll be given your freedom, Brooks. Don't worry. All right. Now, here's a weird weather forecast for you for Sacramento and vicinity. Right now, 79 degrees in Sacramento. Going to be hot today, 98. Going to be hot tomorrow, 97. Overnight low, about 69. So not too much in the way of cooling. At least it's a number that begins with a six as opposed to a seven. And then there's a chance of showers Monday night, 30% chance of showers Monday night, 30% chance of showers Tuesday, 20% chance of showers Tuesday night, chance of showers about 20% and thunderstorms on Wednesday. Go figure. This may be the morning for you to go out to the yard and look at things that you don't want to get wet. Maybe it's that pricey garden umbrella. (laughs) I think it's designed to get wet, but you never know. Uh, Maybe you have a bag, a a sack of concrete sticking out in the open that you plan to do something with, or it was extra and you just haven't gotten around to moving it uh, into a sheltered area because it's a bag of concrete and it weighs 80 pounds. Well, this might be the day for you to move it because if you don't, and it gets too wet, all of a sudden you've got a much heavier rock on your hands that you're going to have trouble getting rid of. So basically uh, 
scout the yard for things that you don't want to get wet just in case. Now, we're talking about a chance of showers Monday night through Wednesday. That's minimal, 20 or 30% chance. Still, that's a chance. I'm just saying, there's the tug-of-war going on now between summer and fall. And fall's going to have some winning days here. I don't know if summer has any more kick left in it or not. We'll find out. But I think most people are kind of glad to see the change of seasons going on. Fall is for planting, after all. The soil is still warm. The days are shorter and uh, getting cooler. Perfect planting conditions during September and October. And we'll be talking about that a lot on this program in the uh, weeks ahead as well. Uh, One of the um, plants I saw that intrigued me yesterday out at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center was basil. Now, you may be saying to yourself, Fred, what's so weird about basil? Basil is common, and it's tasty, too. Well, this was African blue basil. You never heard of African blue basil? Yeah, it's uh, it's, uh, interesting. Uh, And they have it growing out there at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, it's a long-lived basil. It's a large, shrubby form of basil. It's very vigorous. It'll get up to four feet tall. It was just loaded with bees when I saw it yesterday. And whenever I'm scouting plants now for addition to our landscape rehab efforts, I'm looking at those plants, where whether I'm in a nursery or at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center or wherever, that are attracting pollinators, that are attracting beneficial insects. And there certainly were a heck of a lot of bees, bumblebees, on this African blue basil. The leaves are green on top, purple underneath. It's really more ornamental than culinary, but it does have a scent and flavor very different from sweet basil. Not normally used for cooking, but heck, it's a great landscape plant. And if you're looking for color and fragrance in your herb garden, you may want to consider the African blue basil. It can grow... um, in sunny areas or in shady ones, but it needs about two to three hours of sunlight a day. So if you have one of those yards where your neighbor's trees have gotten to the point where there's more shade in your yard than there used to be, something like this African blue basil might be a good fit for it if it only gets two or three hours a day of sun. And it can be grown with filtered light, such as under a tree. It's very drought tolerant. It's easy to grow. It is a perennial, but still sensitive to very cold weather and will freeze at 30 degrees. And um, it, it, it blooms uh, like crazy all the way up, up until frost. And it, it will not go to seed and die. The, the flower never needs to be pinched off. However, you can prune it occasionally for a more bushy form by cutting off the top by about one-third. Interestingly enough, the African blue basil can also be grown indoors. Uh, if you want to overwinter the plant, either grow it through the summer in a pot and move it in before frost or grow it in the ground, then take tip cuttings this time of year. Mid to late September is excellent. They are easily started in a glass of water, just change the water every day, and then maybe transfer them to a pot for the winter with easy draining soil. Perhaps a seed starting mix would be very good. And again, the beautiful flowers of the African blue basil attract bees to your garden. Individual flowers can be plucked from the stem and used as a garnish at the table or whose uh, stem segments are also a dramatic addition to herb bouquets as well. So very useful in cut flower situations as well. So that's the African blue basil as uh, seen in all its glory. It's all its uh, four-foot-tall glory filled with bumblebees out at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center yesterday during their workshop. It's always a good idea to head out to the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center at least four times a year. They have workshops there every month. And, of course, Harvest Day 
the first Saturday in August. But they have so many different perennials, trees, shrubs, vegetables, vines that would work well in your yard. Now, nothing blooms all year long. So if you go four times a year, spring, summer, fall, and winter, you're going to find plants that if they're not in bloom, maybe they have some sort of winter interest, maybe nice-looking bark, something like that, or variegated leaves. So take notes, take pictures. You take a picture of the sign, then you take a picture of the plant. That way you always remember what it is. And uh, you're sure, and make mental notes. <laughs> or or actually, I guess you could make digital notes as well. But uh, the African blue basil was certainly uh, one of the highlights yesterday that I saw out there. Another ornamental basil that they had out there was called wild magic basil. And it's a relatively new variety of ornamental basil that has purple green foliage dark purple stems it's a it's more compact than that other variety this grows about two feet tall a little over two feet wide does wonderful in containers the plant is covered with tons of upright rose purple flowers that bloom constantly until the plant is killed by freezing temperatures bees love the flowers on wild magic and uh, you know a good idea is to include something like either the wild magic basil or the other basil variety I was just talking about, the African blue basil, and intersperse it in your vegetable garden where you know pollinators are needed, maybe in your squash garden, for example, uh, especially squash, melons, and cucumbers. So if you intersperse those, that'll attract the bees, and then they'll do all that uh, pollinating for you. Uh, the flowers are sterile, so there's no issue of the plant self-seeding throughout the garden, although that may not be a bad thing. So a couple of basil varieties for your future consideration. The wild magic, which gets about two by two, or the African blue basil, which gets about four feet tall. So you might want to think about those. We'll take a short break. When we come back, low water shade plants, is there such a thing? I just mentioned a couple right here, but there's more. And we'll talk about that when we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Recently on the program, we had a question from a listener. She wanted to pull out a hydrangea, which she said was about four feet by four feet. It was on the north side of her home that got full shade. And she wanted to replace it with a similar sized plant that was a California native that could take that full shade and didn't use much water. Well... There isn't much to choose from in my little brain, and I think I stumbled around a few answers, like uh, perhaps a monkey flower or a currant or an Oregon grape, and I kind of implied that there are a lot of non-California natives that can take dry shade that are even putting on a show in the wintertime, like the winter Daphne. But I thought we'd get a, a more complete answer, because I know a lot of you are interested in plants for dry shade. And this is a woman who's conducting trials for the University of California on low water use plants. She works for the Cooperative Extension. She is also the San Joaquin County Horticulture Advisor. And it's a pleasure to welcome back to the program, Carrie Reed. Hi, Carrie. Hi. Carrie, that's a tough question, isn't it? Plants for dry shade. It is a tough question, and it's one that we get all the time now because we tell people to plant trees for shade, and then they don't know what to plant under them that's also for water use. Well, in your trials, what have you discovered? We've come up with some really great choices, things that we've really thought performed well 
some of them resist foliage plants, but some of them also have flowers. Um, if you're looking for something in that size range, we have some beautiful plants that were just foliage. They didn't necessarily bloom, but plants that we really liked. And one of them that was a surprise to us is Ligustrum sinensi, the cultivar sunshine. And Sunset has actually picked that up as one of their feature plants that they're putting out there as plants that the Sunset recommends. It's just a beautiful plant. It's not your typical Ligustrum. It's a lime green and uh, really beautiful, a beautiful shrub. If people went to the Sunset Western Garden book and looked up Ligustrum, it would say privet. And that would raise a lot of red flags in people's minds about how, how easily does that spread. But that's Ligustrum japonica, and that one is the big, glossy-leaved, dark green plant that people are used to seeing that's tree-sized. This one is Ligustrum sinensi. It has small, lime green leaves. It doesn't flower, so there's no seeds, so there's no spreading. One other request that this listener had for the plant, she wanted it to be easy care. Right. Well, on this one, you wouldn't have to do anything unless it just got, you know, eventually too large for your pathway. But, you know, there's a couple of other plants that I would recommend for that as well. And um, you mentioned the currants, and I think there's some excellent choices in the Ribes family. There's um, the, the, the lower growing plants like Ribes viburnifolium, which do really well. And the Mahonias that you mentioned, there's uh, they've switched some of those Mahonias now over to the genus Berberus. And um, the Berberus aquifolium compacta is beautiful. And that one has those lovely yellow blooms on it in the springtime, early spring, late winter. Really attractive to native birds and native insects. That's a, a lovely choice. And then one of the Australian plants we really really liked that I took and put in my own garden. It doesn't get quite four feet tall, but it will spread to four feet wide. And that is the Australian bluebell creeper, the Solia heterophylla. Tiny little blue flowers in the summertime, very low water use, really lovely plant, doesn't require any maintenance. Now, another program that you're associated with, and I, I start seeing some commonality here, is uh, the UC Arboretum All-Stars. And for instance, that compact uh, uh, Oregon grape is on that list, and that evergreen yes, currant is. is on that list. Yes, it is. And actually, so is the Australian bluebell grinder. Those are all three choices that we put in. You know, another one that is, was surprising to us was a new introduction uh, from Ball Horticulture called uh, Bilia Sunshine Daydream. And it's one of those variegated bilias. And those actually prefer a little bit of shade. And we grew that one in the shade. It bloomed in the shade and it uh, was really a lovely plant. And it was a smaller abelia than the ones that get, you know, really tall and have to be cut down. Now, when you're trialing, you know, when you're trialing plants in the shade, exactly how much shade are they getting? Ours are under 50% shade cloth. So they're getting some light in there, but it, it's still pretty shady. And um, some of these plants I take home, of course, and put in my own garden where they're under the shade of, of trees where it's dappled shade. And they still perform pretty well. We had one of the um, Ceanothus, Marie Simon, another all-star that blooms pink, which is spectacular. I could get home and put it in a spot in my yard that then became shady with time. <laughs> and it still blooms and, and seems to like the shade just fine. And uh, what about, though, a plant that is on the north side of a house? That would be less than 50% light. Um, you know, it, it would be less than 50%, but I'm assuming that it gets some light. I'd, I you know, there's still indirect light that comes into a place on the north 
side of the house in most cases. Now, to uh, broaden out this uh, plant choice that this woman can choose from for uh, plants that get three or four feet tall by three or four feet wide, dry shade, and maybe not necessarily California native, uh, there's a lot more choices out there, aren't there? There really are. There are tons of plants that come from other areas that are just like ours, as you know, the Mediterranean type of climates, and those are really good sources of plant materials that also do well in our climate. Talk a little bit about the trials and how little water that you're trialing. The last time I talked to you, some of these plants in the summertime were getting maybe once a month irrigations or or none at all. Right. And the really dramatic part is when they're in the shade, the soil holds the moisture so much longer that even under our 50% shade cloth, last year, the plants that were on the lowest water treatment we're not watered at all after May. <laughs> Through the entire season, they received no irrigation. And I think the year before or the two years before that, the plants that went through that section of the trials maybe got one irrigation. It might have been a little bit hotter summer. So under the shade, the highest water application that we put down is every three to four weeks, which is pretty remarkable. In our, we have a heavy clay soil pretty heavy clay soil, so it does hold a little bit more water. If somebody had a really fine sandy loam, they'd have to irrigate a little more frequently than that, but maybe half that much. What, any heucheras uh, in your studies? Oh, I love heucheras, yes. We've done um, the two uh, native heucheras, heuchera maxima, and then the hybrid heuchera rosata, and they both have performed beautifully. Love those plants. Again, I put those both at home in my own garden under the shade of a tree where they don't get irrigated very frequently at all in Folsom. And um, they do really, Folsom, not full sun, <laughs> in the city of Folsom. And um, those are really excellent performers. Uh, Heuchera maxima, also known as island alum root, and the rosata right. heuchera, the uh, rosata coral bells. Right. And, you know, those especially heuchers do well under deciduous trees because they can handle the winter sun. And you get a really nice bloom if you plant them under a deciduous tree where the leaves fall. They get the winter sun, so they have lots of energy during the winter. They push out that early spring bloom then. Really spectacular. And hellebores are the same way. I love the hellebores. They're really underutilized flowering plants, and they give us a really beautiful early, early spring, late winter bloom. Among the plants that are not California natives that don't require much water, that surprises a lot of people that put on a show for the nose, especially in the wintertime, is winter Daphne. Oh, I wouldn't be without it. it I have two <laughs> in my own garden, and we did trial that in our trials at will, and I have it in my demo garden and stock, and it's just, it's incomparable for fragrance. A lot of good advice from Carrie Reed. You can uh, read more about low water use landscaping at one of UC Davis's uh, find websites, the California Center for Urban Horticulture, ccuh.ucdavis.edu, where you can look at uh, Carrie's information on converting to a low water landscape on how to do it. Any other good websites you like? Anybody's master gardener website in any county that they're in is usually a great resource. And another good website is the new Water Use Classification of Landscape Species site. And what that has on it is virtually every plant that's growing in the state of California and how much water it uses. So it's a searchable database that you can go on 
put in exactly what you want, low water use plants for the shade, and it'll pull up a list for your particular city if you live in an incorporated city. And uh, you can create a list from that. And the website for that is W-U-C-O-L-S, Roman numeral 4. So Wuples 4, that should pop up and take you right to that. University of California is hosting that now. So And again, a really great resource. WUCO stands for Water Use Classification of Landscape Species. Correct. All right. Carrie Reed, environmental horticultural advisor for San Joaquin County and trialist for UC Davis uh, studying low water use plants. Always a pleasure talking with you. Thank you, Fred. I enjoy talking to you, too. Coming up, we are going to find out about the Sacramento County Master Gardener Program from its coordinator, Judy McClure, and how you might just want to be part of the 2018 Master Gardener Program as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. We're at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center on a workshop day here in September. And September is also when they start recruiting the next new Master Gardener class. We're talking with Master Gardener Coordinator Judy McClure. And Judy, people can now sign up for the Master Gardener program, at least uh, the initial sign-up. Uh, they can send us their application because we're excited. We know that the Sacramento community has a lot of people out there that need university research information, so we're looking for more volunteers to help us get that information out. All right. A typical Master Gardener class has usually how many students? It ranges depending on uh, the number of applicants that apply to the program and the space we have available. Is it just open to Sacramento County residents or are you now incorporating the surrounding counties? So here in Sacramento County, we're funded by the Board of Supervisors. They want us to educate Sacramento County residents. So our applicants are from Sacramento County. However, your audience is all of Northern California. So definitely have uh, your listeners check with their county cooperative extension offices. And it's nice to see so many of the surrounding county Cooperative Extension Master Gardener programs are recruiting for the next Master Gardener class. So glad to see that the Master Gardener program is thriving throughout Northern California. Now, you you mentioned that they get trained in university-certified research techniques as far as gardening goes. But the key for acceptance into the Master Gardener training program is a spirit of volunteerism because that's part of the whole deal, isn't it? That's volunteerism. It's in your heart. People have that, the passion for it, or they don't. Um, horticulture information we can teach people. They can get that from the university books, but volunteerism in, is in the heart. So we do look for people that have a history of volunteering in the community, and it does not have to be horticulture-related. It can be with the schools or with the churches or any other organization. Exactly. No matter what you've done in the community, uh, if you list it on the application, the the little committee that decides who is accepted into the Master Gardener training program is going to be looking at your history of volunteerism. How many hours does a Master Gardener have to volunteer to the community? What exactly are the criteria to, to be a Master Gardener once you're in the program? Enthusiasm and uh, the willing to continually keep learning and sharing that information with the public. So the first year they're in the program, with that enthusiasm, they're going to volunteer 50 hours in the community. And then every year after that, it's 25 hours. 
And of course, I imagine because uh, everything we know is wrong, continuing education is part of this. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say everything is wrong, Fred. It changes. Uh, <laughs> it changes. <laughs> but it is. That's the fun thing about our program. Not only the vast diversity of personalities we have in the program, but everybody's skills and talents they bring to the program, plus the fact that every year the um, weather's different. You know, whether we have rain or not rain determines what diseases we have. There's always new insects coming on board. And, you know, there's trends in different kind of plants. So it's continually changes. But there is a continuing education component to being a master gardener. And, and how many hours is that? And what is part of the fulfillment for that continuing education requirement? So the continuing education you'll find with our volunteers, they probably top easily 100 hours a year. But we only require 12 uh, but that's easy to do because we offer monthly meetings that they can attend where we bring in speakers. But um, a lot of horticulture books can be read. There's field trips. Uh, we just had our statewide conference uh, for Master Gardeners throughout the entire state, which had three days worth of high-quality speakers. That was all continuing education. And, of course, uh, our newspapers are listening to garden radio shows part of that? Yes, we definitely <laughs> recommend that our Master Gardeners support our local Sunday morning radio talk shows. Oh, that's And nice. also, if you wish to volunteer to be uh, present on that radio talk show, that counts on, as volunteer time. There's a lot to do when you're a Master Gardener. It's not just uh, working here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. What are some of the activities that Master Gardeners take part in? Well, we change with the times, just like the rest of society. So we have a uh, large website. So Master Gardeners do 100% of the work on our website. We have a very active Facebook page, totally maintained by uh, volunteers. We write publications. We assist with uh, Speakers Bureau. When community garden groups want speakers, volunteers can go out and talk to them. We do a lot of research. We have a farm advisor here that's very active with us, and Master Gardeners get to assist him with his field research sometimes. And, of course, I have to give a plug for this beautiful Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. Uh, the volunteers developed it, maintain it, and we do our education out here. Fair Oaks Horticulture Center in Fair Oaks Park off Fair Oaks Boulevard, just south of Madison. And it's been around since, uh, I want to say, 97, but I think it's before that. Uh, 1998 was our big splash, and next year we're going to have our 20th anniversary celebration. All right. Master Gardener applications are available from now through when? Uh, they are last day we accept them is October 17th at 5 o'clock. So go to our website, which is uh, sacmg.ucanr.edu. Download the application, fill it out, and mail us a hard copy, and you're good to go. Well, sort of. That's the first step. I mean, there are a few other hurdles along the way. You have to be chosen by a committee to partake of the training. And there's a little bit of money involved. Uh, there is a fee that covers the speaker's uh, cost and the uh, books. Actually, all of our uh, trainees get five university books. And uh, we do handouts continually through the session, and we do a lot of hands-on activities. So there is a cost of $165, which is unbelievably reasonable. Mm -hmm. And the training is once a week for, what, four months, January through April? We are going uh, now January, the second week in January through mid-May. And our time is from 9 o'clock till 2.30. We've extended the lesson so that we have more time for hands-on activities each week. And that's once a week? Once a week, every Wednesday at the Cooperative Extension Office in Sacramento. 
All right, so on Wednesdays, the training is held from 9 until 2.30, January through May. And then after that, you're expected to be a Master Gardener volunteer. And uh, some of the things they do, they uh, answer questions at state fairs and uh, gatherings uh, throughout the community. We have an incredible retention rate in Sacramento. We have Master Gardeners still active in our program that were in the very first training program in 1980 and then we have quite a few volunteers that have been with us for 10 15 20 years so it's a, you will not want to stop volunteering once you get into the program I'm trying to think how long i've been in i think 35 years when did dirt become soil yes exactly yes <laughs> on the third day <laughs> like i said we have a lot of unique personalities in the program we're very lucky that way well, Sacramento was very lucky to have the Master Gardener Group to uh, help them answer their garden questions. And uh, I, if you want great ideas for your own backyard or front yard, come out here to the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center and you are going to see what you can do and accomplish in your own backyard. And if there's a problem here, they, they're not shy about it. If, if a plant has aphids, there will be a sign there that says this plant has aphids. That's true. There's a lot to be learned and a lot to learn more so in the future. The Master Gardeners out here are continually learning and teaching. So definitely come and visit us, and I look forward to meeting all the new applicants. Judy McClure, Sacramento County Master Gardener Coordinator. Thanks for a few minutes of your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Fred. Coming up, we are going to visit with Rose Laval Sale out at Morning Sun Herb Farm because today is Tomato Day at Morning Sun Herb Farm. It's going to be going on uh, between 11 and 3.30 out there at Morning Sun Herb Farm in Vacaville. So if you want to taste tomatoes, uh, you still got time to get over to Vacaville, but we'll talk to Rose and get all the details coming up in just a couple of minutes here on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Going on today, it's Tomato Day at Morning Sun Herb Farm in Vacaville. What's Tomato Day all about? Let's find out. We're talking with Rose Love All Sale from Morning Sun Herb Farm. And Rose, how long have you been doing Tomato Day? Um, well, Fred, I think we've been doing Tomato Day. This might be our 15th year, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And there's always tons of tomatoes for people to taste. How many varieties do you have this year? I think we lucked out in the end. We were afraid we'd only have like five, <laughs> but we actually picked and harvested today 52 varieties, and we have uh, 10 more to harvest tomorrow, and uh, and then I'm getting 15 from other farmers. So I don't know, my math isn't very good, but that's we're, we're almost up to 80 varieties this year. Well, that's pretty good considering all the heat we had this year. A lot of tomato growers around here were complaining about undersized tomatoes because of the heat. Did you have that issue as well? Oh, yes. Our brandy wines are tiny. <laughs> yeah, all of our big beefsteaks are half the size of normal. And in general, everything has a little bit thicker skin than we really prefer. Well, fortunately, people will go for the meat and not the skin when it comes to tasting tomatoes. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> now, let's, sure, it has to be. <laughs> now, Tomato Day, it's not just tomato tasting. Tell the people what all will be going on there at Morning Sun Herb Farm today. This is an event that we do with um, Slow Food Solano. And so uh, we ask for a $5 donation. And the $5 donation all goes to our um, Solano County Public School Garden Fund. So it's a really wonderful event for that. 
We have chef demos that go on all day, starting from 11.15 until 2.30. We have chef demos that, of course, are featuring different kinds of tomatoes. And uh, we also have a beautiful um, artisan market. So we have local vendors that do everything from local jams and honeys and biscotti to uh, recycled uh, garden art and uh, uh, jewelry for the garden, all kinds of wonderful things like that. And our and our gardens are actually looking beautiful. So a lot of people like to come and wander the gardens and feed the donkeys and the goats, of course. And we should point out it's called Morning Sun Herb Farm, so I imagine you'll have a lot of herb-related activities going on as well. We uh, we will, yeah. So we will. Uh, you can definitely wander through the gardens right now and kind of see what kind of herbs are looking good, particularly things like the lavender, which happens to be out in bloom again out in our field. So everyone that didn't get to see the uh, lavender since it went so quick with the heat in June, you could actually come back out and, and uh, walk the lavender fields in the fall. It's Tomato Day 2017 going on at Morning Sun Herb Farm. It's a fundraiser for Slow Foods Solano. Cooking demonstrations, all sorts of uh, herbal-based businesses uh, will be set up there as well. And, of course, uh, come hungry to taste tomatoes. I bet you have some advice for tasting tomatoes. I bet you would tell people to start with the heirlooms and work their way to, towards the cherry tomatoes. Yeah, you have, doing the cherries last is like doing the dessert wine last. Or, you know, you definitely don't want to do the cherries right away because otherwise everything else tastes kind of blah. So I would definitely start with the heirlooms because those tend to be mild. And I would start with the yellows and the striped tomatoes and the greens because those are milder. And then move on to the reds and then hit the cherries, even though everybody likes to go eat candy first, it seems like. <laughs> And it's usually the candy that's the big winner, isn't it? Um, yes, Sun Gold and Sun Sugar and Sweet 100 are always the winners. But after that, surprisingly, it's the yellows and the greens. Everybody loves green zebra and green grape, which is always a surprise because people tend to not uh, purchase the green tomato plants or green tomatoes when they're ready. But when they taste them, they love them because they have this delicious spiciness to them. And what have in the past been the big uh, heirloom yellow winners? Uh, usually it's one like a manna orange or tangerine. And those are those are both uh, big heirloom beefsteaks. And uh, again, this year they both look really beautiful. I didn't think they'd make it through this last heat wave, but um, we have we will have plenty to taste. They didn't all turn to mush, so that's great. Again, something like 85 varieties for tasting, tomato tasting. It's going on at Morning Sun Herb Farm during Tomato Day. It's today, 11 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. A $5 donation is requested, but proceeds benefit the Solano County Public School Gardens, a very worthwhile cause. If people want more information, they can visit the website, morningsunherbfarm.com. And tell us where you are, Rose. We are in Vacaville. We're in the beautiful hillside outside of the town of Vacaville on Pleasant Valley Road, which is 137 Pleasant Valley Road in the countryside of Vacaville. 6137 Pleasant Valley Road in Vacaville. That's where you're going to find Morning Sun Herb Farm. And, and folks, come spring, if you're looking for a really good selection of tomato transplants for your garden, you don't want to overlook Morning Sun Herb Farm because w how many varieties do you normally bring in in the spring, Rose? Uh, last year we grew 86, 86, 88 varieties, and we do grow them from seed all right here on site. So... 
Uh, so they don't come into us ready to sell. We actually lovingly plant and transplant every single tomato. <laughs> oh, you're my kind of gal, Rose. I like that. <laughs> All right. It's Tomato Day 2017. Morning Sun Herb Farm in Vacaville's The Place. 11 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. Rose Love All Sale Morning Sun Herb Farm. Have a great tomato day today. Thank you. Coming up in a few minutes, it's a garden grappler here on Get Growing. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. I think you'll come up with an answer or two and always have a backup answer because first five callers win a prize bonus prize for caller five because as you know in the garden grappler you can't repeat an earlier answer always toughest on caller number five so again the clue available at farmerfred.com the uh what else is going on in our number two there's a begonia show going on at the shepherd garden and art center today you may want to catch from now until three o'clock and we have details about that and also Backyard citrus and how to keep them in check. Basically, how to keep them as citrus bushes instead of citrus trees in order to more aptly fit into your yard if you have a small yard. Or for that matter, to be able to get more different varieties of citrus into your own yard. So instead of growing a 20-foot citrus tree, why not a 6-foot citrus bush? They're doing it at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, and we will talk to one of their orchard specialists uh, in hour number two and find out how they did that. And, of course, I mentioned the Garden Grappler. We'll delve into the email you've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com. While I was out yesterday at uh, the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center during workshop day, I'm always looking at plants, wondering, would this work in my yard? And uh, one grevillea I found rather intriguing. It's uh, the Grevillea lanagera, also known as the Coastal Gem. Grevillea. Now, this is a low-growing grevillea. It's an introduction from UC Santa Cruz. It's a low-spreading shrub that gets about one foot tall, but it spreads out about four to five feet across. It has interesting grayish-green leaves on flat to slightly arching stems. It's really got a nice color, the foliage does, and it's evergreen, so the foliage is year-round. And in a lot of climates, the bloom is year-round, but it's especially blooming in winter and spring from winter to late spring so how's that for a nice addition for your yard especially something that grows low but spreads think of it on a rock wall oh i just gave myself another idea uh, a rock wall or uh, maybe in a container cascading over the edges and it's a tight cluster of pinkish red and cream spidery flowers that are abundantly produced at the end of the branches as i said from winter to late spring Excuse me. Full sun to light shade works quite well. It's an excellent plant for a rock garden, a border, or a ground cover. Great for attracting nectar-feeding birds, too. And it's hardy to moderate frost. Brooks is looking at me like, are you, Fred, are you choking? <coughs> no, I'm suppressing a cough. Thank you. <clears throat> And what else about the coastal gem? <coughs> Excuse me. Really, I'm okay. Um, you can prune it back. That's kind of nice. So anyway, I think I'm going to go have a big coughing fit uh, during the news coming up, and then uh, you know, we can get back to normal here. Maybe it was the too much coffee. But anyway, when you go to the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, check out that coastal gem grevillea this winter and spring and look for its its really pretty pinkish-whitish blooms. It wasn't in bloom when I saw it yesterday, 
But even the foliage alone was nice with the, those grayish green leaves. So again, that was the Grevillea lanagera, also known as Coastal Gem, which was an introduction from UC Santa Cruz. Speaking of UC Santa Cruz, did you know they have a great botanical garden over there? And who doesn't want to go to Santa Cruz to ride the roller coaster, right? Well, if, you, if you're going there to do that, go visit their botanical garden, especially in late fall through the winter, because they specialize in Australian plants. And a lot of them are blooming in the wintertime. So if you want to see some Australian plants, and Australian plants do well in our climate, we're both Mediterranean climates, check out the Arboretum at UC Santa Cruz. All right, we'll take that short break for news. We'll be back with the Garden Grappler. I'll go gargle some water, and we'll live happily ever after here on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. If you're up on plant color names, I think you are. All five callers get a prize, special bonus prize for caller five. All you have to do, mention a plant with a color in its name. I bet Brooks could do it right off the top of his head if you wanted to. But don't do it. Don't give away any answers, Brooks. I, I know you could do it. I'll name one that most people probably wouldn't. The blue oak, one of my favorite oak trees. So all I want you to do is mention another plant with a color in its name. All five callers get a prize, special bonus prize for caller five. Numbers to call, 576-1578 in the 916 area code. 576-1578. Outside the area, toll free, 866-331-8255. 866-331-8255. Again, all five callers get a prize. Bonus prize for caller five. Name a plant with a color in its name. I bet you can do that. Don't prove me wrong, folks. Okay. All right. So while you're um, ruminating on that one, um, I'm halfway torn I, to talking about one of two topics. A pretty plant I saw at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center or something totally different, this hack break-in at the Experian Credit Agency where basically, and we don't know, it could be all of our credit information may have been grabbed by hackers. We don't know. Now, if a credit agency gets hacked in, they got a lot of information, social security numbers, driver's licenses, addresses, all your credit card info. That's a lot of dangerous information that's floating out there in in the deep web, as they say. So what should you do if Equifax, Experian, or TransUnion have a break-in on their data like Equifax um, had? And the the sad part about that it was it happened, what, they discovered it in May? and didn't release the information until August? Yeah, well, now Equifax, to its credit, is offering a free year of fraud alert. Well, a fraud alert uh, doesn't really protect you thoroughly. It just basically uh, says somebody's trying to open up something in your name. So why not take it to the next step? There's a good article in today's New York Times about better ways to protect yourself from having that stolen information get out there and 
having having your bank account drained or somebody filing an income tax form using your information for them to get a refund, stuff like that. And the New York Times in this article, which, by the way, is, is headlined, if you're looking for it, called Equifax's instructions are confusing. Here's what to do now. What they suggest you do now is put a credit freeze on your accounts. And basically, you would do that through all three of the credit reporting agencies, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. And the uh, New York Times article suggests also that you use a little-known company called Innovis, too, to get a credit freeze puts on. Now, basically, you sign up, you pay some fees because, you know, it wasn't free. And when you do that, and supposedly it only takes about 15 minutes, the bureaus are not supposed to release your credit report to any company except the ones that are already have you as a customer. And that's important because if a thief shows up with your Social Security number and address to apply for credit in your name, the lender will go to fetch your credit report before anything else happens. If it can't retrieve that report because of the freeze, then there's no new account for the thief. A fraud alert, on the other hand, just says, hey, somebody might be taking your credit. So what you have to do then, I mean, if you put a credit freeze through those three or four agencies, is you can thaw that freeze every time you want to apply for new credit by using a personal identification number that the uh, companies give you, which obviously you shouldn't use. And, of course, that costs a few more dollars as well. But in this day and age, is maybe uh, spending a few dollars is worth it to uh, hold on to your savings. New York Times points out that this is a annoying process, but it takes only about 15 minutes to do it at all three of the big agencies. And um, the reason why they make you jump through the hoops is, of course, they hate freezes like that. It gums up the work, makes it harder for them to peddle your files to credit card companies and such, thus uh, making even more money off your data. So basically, oh, too bad. You're not going to make as much money off me as you used to. So a credit freeze, though, is different from that fraud alert, though you should also request one of those in the wake of the Equifax breach for the longest possible time on the offer. Usually that free alert is good for a year or so. But also check on your own accounts, too, and you can get free reports through annualcreditreport.com. You get one per year per agency. So basically every four months you could check it through either Equifax, Experian, or TransUnion. And uh, that plus uh, the permanent security freezes might, you know, make you sleep better at night. So anyway, I did want to talk about that just because if you're broke, you can't buy any garden stuff, right? Yeah. Okay. So that's why I brought it up. All right. Now, more about the pretty plant I saw. I saw a pretty plant at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center yesterday. It was a Ruelia. It's also known as the wild petunia. And this was a shrub there in the uh, perennial garden at the uh, Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. And it was about uh, four feet tall or so. Gorgeous. It it obviously liked uh, the full sun it is in. But what is nice are these large purple bell-shaped flowers that was attracting all sorts of bees and other pollinators. And it blooms a long time, spring to fall. Purple flowers... Long bloom season, real showy flowers. It attracts butterflies, hummingbirds. It's friendly to birds. It's easy care, and it doesn't use much water. And again, it's called Ruelia. Now, the particular one at the uh, Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, it said it was a 
Ruellia subspecies, meaning oh, we don't know what species it is. But there are a lot of good species out there. And if uh, a similar one to this uh, subspecies would be the Ruellia peninsularis, also known as the Baja Ruellia, which, uh, as I mentioned, uh, this one gets about three to four feet tall and about two to three feet wide. And that long bloom season, and it grows easy in average well-drained soil. About with most plants, and you know, this is the issue with growing plants that don't require much water, is they need water, though, during their first growing season. So if you plant drought-tolerant plants this fall, you're going to have to give it regular water for the first growing season in order for the roots to get established. Now, obviously, once it starts raining, you don't have to water. And then after a year, most of these drought-tolerant plants need little water when established. And... Uh, the, the double-edged sword of planting a lot of these blooming, low-water-use plants is they'll bloom even more if you give them more water, which sort of defeats the purpose of having a low-water-use plant. So, you know, you got to be careful, though. Prune old foliage before the new leaves emerge in spring. And, but uh, if you go to the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, check out the Ruellia there. Again, uh, another name for it is the wild petunia. They have it in a raised planter, a raised brick planter out there in their perennial section at the uh, Fair Oaks Horticulture Center just as you walk through the gate. And that first section where they have the, the w- water-efficient landscape and a lot of their perennials is open, I think, every day during daylight hours. A lot of the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center is locked off. The orchard, the vineyard, uh, the vegetable gardens, that's behind a locked door. Locked gate is only open during workshops and special occasions. But uh, the water-efficient landscape, that's open year-round, so you can take a walk through there today if you wanted to and take a picture of this uh, Ruellia, which reminds me a lot of a Lavatera, the way it looks. But it's a really, but I can see how it can get the nickname Wild Petunia because it does look like purple petunia flowers. And again, uh, Ruellia is the name. So uh, check that out, too, if you're looking for water-wise plants to put in the ground this fall. How about we take a break, and when we come back, we'll get to your Garden Grappler answers. Mention a plant with a color in its name. 576-1578 in the 916, or toll-free 866-331-8255. It's the Garden Grappler, and it's going on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, we are in the midst of the Garden Grappler. Easy peasy question today. Name a plant with a color in its name. All right, you got that and you have a backup answer just in case. First up, let's go to Auburn and Nancy. Nancy, go ahead, give us a plant with a color in its name. How about red bud? How about a red bud? Yeah, a real pretty tree or large shrub, depending on how you prune it. The red bud, good answer there. And by the way, uh, if you have another plant, uh, folks, uh, if you're in line here, the color red is still good. It's just you can't say red bud again. But if you've got another plant with red in its name, for example, you could use that. So, Nancy, up there in Auburn, what do I have for you? I have for you my oh, my oh one of my favorite handouts, Beneficial Insects, the Bad Bugs They Control, and the Plants They Love. So if you're trying to build a good bug hotel, 
uh, this is the information you need. So I'll be sending that your way, Nancy. Very good. Thank you. All right. Thanks for calling, and thanks for the Red Bud. Appreciate it. All right. So Red Bud, good answer. Let's go to the home of the Wolverines, Willits, and Rick. Hi, Rick. Hello, yes. Um, I'd like to say Scarlet Begonia. What was that again? Scarlet Begonia. A Scarlet Begonia. Yes, there is a Scarlet Begonia, as a matter of fact. They may even have one at the Begonia show going on today at the uh, Shepherd Garden and Arts Center. Scarlet Begonia, good answer, Rick. And I'll be sending you that handout on beneficial insects. That'll be coming your way. Thank you very much. All right, Rick, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Let's go to caller number three, and that is Eddie in Lafayette. Hi, Eddie. Good morning, Fred. How you doing? I'm doing just fine. So uh, over there in the Bay Area, you've got all sorts of plants with colorful names. Uh, what, which one uh, stops or pops in your brain first? Well, I've got one of that, and I want to know about the uh, Garden Railroad at High Hand, too, after we're done with this. Okay, that was yesterday. Uh, okay, uh, Blueberry. <laughs> yeah, why not? Blueberry, there you go. One of my favorite plants because it's uh, so good for you, and it's really a nice-looking plant, too. And the southern highbush varieties of blueberries do wonderfully in our area. Generally speaking, you get two or three different varieties. You get better pollination that way. Some are evergreen. Some lose their leaves. Some have some great fall color as well. Some berries are bigger than others, uh, like the O'Neill variety has a good-sized berry on it for blueberries. But a blueberry, a good answer, can grow in... Just about any climate here in Northern California now, unless you live in Truckee, and uh, it's uh, all it needs is acid soil, and that's why they make such great containerized plants, because you can control the, the kind of soil for a blueberry by giving it that 5.5 pH that it, that it craves using a combination, a, a, a one-third mix of peat moss, one-third uh, walk-on bark, small bark, and one-third of a camellia azalea rhododendron potting mix and maybe throw in a handful of soil sulfur and you're good to go so uh, blueberry oh, wow. blueberry good answer there eddie so i'll be sending you my handout on beneficial insects the bad bugs they control and the plants they love cool eddie thanks for the call appreciate it thank you all right Bye-bye. let's go to caller number four in today's garden grappler it is zella in lincoln zella go ahead give us a plant with a with a colorful name orange why not why not i i wonder what can can you imagine that the first citrus growers were around and and they're looking at that okay what do we call this fruit i don't know it's orange okay orange it is we're in a hurry here let's go okay And, and then it became an orange i have a funny feeling that's how it worked but uh or yeah why not Orange, good good answer, Zell. The obvious, right in front of you. And so I'll be sending you that beneficial insects handout so you know uh, how to build yourself a good bug hotel. Thank you very much. All right, Zell. Good answer. Bye-bye. All right. Yeah, that's uh, pretty clever there. All right. Yeah. I wonder, I, now that I think about it, I wonder how the orange got its name. I really think that it's when they started commercially, wherever they started growing oranges, I'm going to have to look this up because I wonder if it's, it began in the United States or did it begin in Spain or in Central or South America? I'm going to have to trace the lineage of citrus to the United States and see who uh, ended up calling it an orange. Now, here in California, citrus was introduced by the missionaries. And uh, maybe one day way back when 
one of uh, Father Uniperos, uh, Sarah's assistants came up to him and says, look at this fruit we brought with us. What do we want to call it? He goes, hey, come on. We got mass starting in 10 minutes. Call it an orange. It's orange. And off they went. Um, I don't know. But that would be a good research project. Maybe I'll do my Ph.D. on that. Well, Stacy, you're the fifth caller. Yeah, I'm what? You're the fifth caller. Oh, I'm so excited. Oh, my gosh. I wasn't able to do what I usually do on Sunday, so I get to listen to the whole program and call for the contest. Thank you. Well, congratulations. Um, okay. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. I have a little mini rose called Yellow Girl. Yellow Girl Rose. Okay. All right. Mini rose. It's a mini. Okay. A miniature rose. All right. Well, I'm going to look it up just in case because, I mean, if you, if, yes. if you were pulling my leg here, Baldo would never let me hear the end of it if uh, I should uh, say. Well, I didn't get it from him. I got it from Michael Fisher. Oh, okay. All right. Way back when. Yeah, way back when is right. Uh, uh, yellow Girl. I wonder if this is a Michael Fisher name. Uh, now that I see it. Uh, there's one called Yellow Rose Number 3. Oh, image for yellow girl. Then no, that doesn't work either. Do you have no another? Do you have, do you have another answer? I mean, you may be right, but I, it's just nothing is popping up here. How about rosemary? Did somebody say rosemary? If if you consider rose a, a color, do you consider rose a color? Rose is a color. Yes, rose is a color. And in, in my box of crayons, okay. there is a rose. All right. Yes, there is. Okay. All right, Stacy. Okay. Good enough, Stacy. So I'll be Thank sa- you. I'll be sending you since you're in Sacramento the 2018 Sacramento County Gardening Guide and Calendar. <gasps> Thank you. You're- Thank you so much. I love that and I haven't gotten mine yet so there I appreciate you, it very much. There you go. So congratulations, Stacy. Thank you for your all your help, and I love listening to you. I appreciate okay. you being there, Stacy. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. You know we we got to plan something special because coming up the first Sunday in November is the 25th anniversary of KSTE being on the air. And uh, sadly enough to report, I was one of the first voices heard (laughs) on KSTE way back then. So it'll be a full 25 years of doing Get Growing come that first uh, Sunday in November. And uh, we should do something special. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe I'll bring bottles of scotch in. We'll just drink. Or not. All right. Garden activities, well, we talked about, uh, did we talk about, uh, no, but in a few minutes we're going to talk about the Begonia Show that's going on at the uh, Shepherd Garden and Arts Center. We heard from Rose Love All Sale about Tomato Day going on today at uh, Morning Sun Herb Farm in Vacaville, tomato tasting. What else is going on? We, we heard from uh, Judy McClure about uh, the Master Gardener Training Program for 2018, now accepting applications here in Sacramento County. Coming up Wednesday at UC Davis Arboretum, you can take a walk with Warren. That's coming up uh, Wednesday, September 13th at noon. You can join him and take a leisurely stroll through the Arboretum. He'll point out all the plants of interest this time of year there. The San Joaquin County Master Food Preservers have a class on Making apple pie in a jar. What? How do you do that? Well, what you're doing is making the filling and preserving it in the jar. So basically, it's an apple pie filling preservation class. Uh, And that way, you can make apple pies in a hurry come holiday time. And you'll go home with a jar to make a pie to try it out. But you're going to be working at making your own there on Saturday, September 16th from 10 a.m. to 2 o'clock. So bring an apron and get ready for this hands-on class. 
Registration begins at 9.30. Class begins at 10. It does cost $25, but you're going to learn a lot at the Robert Cabral Ag Center at 2101 East Earhart Avenue in Stockton, which is down by the airport, not too far off Highway 99 there in uh, Stockton. So that's the Master Food Preservers, and you can uh, call them for more information. Or just uh, basically you can visit the San Joaquin um, Master Food Preservers uh, website as well. Just Google that phrase. All right. Uh, How about a cemetery tour? How about deadheading at daybreak next Saturday at the Old City Cemetery? They'll teach you how to deadhead spent rose blooms from their rose bushes and how to tidy up the garden and how that can encourage repeat blooming of the roses. Bring your own gloves and tools, but if you don't have them, they'll provide them. They have light refreshments as well. So do a little deadheading at 7.30 a.m. next Saturday at the Old City Cemetery, home to not only lots of old dead people, but also a beautiful rose garden and a perennial garden as well. 10th and Broadway, the Old City Cemetery in Sacramento. You may want to do that. Free composting workshop next Saturday, 1 to 2 o'clock at the Orangevale Library, put on by the Sacramento County Master Gardeners, 8820 Greenback Lane. Learn more about composting there uh, next Saturday, 1 to 2 o'clock. Over at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center next Saturday and Sunday, it's the Delta Jesneriad and African Violet Society. They have their annual show and sale, African Violets, Come in such a wide range of sizes and colors. If, if your only exposure to African violets is what you see at the grocery store, you need to expand your horizons about African violets and uh, head out to this show at the Shepherd Garden and Art Center next Saturday and Sunday, Saturday 1 to 4, next Sunday 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. for the African Violet Society's show and sale. So we can take advantage of that. And uh, going on there today, right now, as a matter of fact, is the Begonia Show put on by the Joan Coulott Sacramento branch of the American Begonia Society. When we come back from this break, we'll be talking with Paul Sampsis about the Begonia Show. Also, a little bit later on, we're going to get some tips on backyard orchard culture for citrus. Grow a citrus bush, not a citrus tree. Details coming up on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Going on this weekend at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center, it's the Begonia Show, Begonia Jewels. It's presented by the Joan Coulot Sacramento branch of the American Begonia Society. And it happened yesterday and it will be happening today as well. From the Begonia Society, probably the best begonia grower here in the Sacramento area, Paul Sampsis joins us right now. Paul, uh, are you having a good turnout? Actually, it's been, it's really been good. Quite often in a show, you get everybody coming in like in the first 10 minutes, Fred, and you know the lines are long. All afternoon, we just had a good crowd of people in the show, in the sales room, uh, interested people, lots of questions. It, it was really, really a good day for us. Describe what people will see when they walk into the main room and what's on the stage. On the stage is the plants that have uh, won each of their divisions. They, the show's broken up into 33 competitive divisions, and then if the plant is good enough in that division, it you know wins, and uh, we move it up to the stage so people can see the the, the, the best of the better. 
and uh, the rest of the room, we, we had well over 100 entries. Uh, so there's lots of different kinds of begonias to see. Interestingly, this year, we had a lot of people who entered plants in terrariums. And terrariums are those little little fussy tropicals that, you know, live in the, the deep, dark jungle under the leaves and lots of humidity. And some of those are quite, quite beautiful. And we've had a lot of those entries. People may, again, be of the mistaken notion that begonias are rather plain-looking, flowering plants that they might know from memory visiting a, a garden center or a big box store. And I would imagine yesterday when people walked in there to the Shepherd Garden and Art Center, they took a look at the plants on stage, and I bet more than one person said, that's a begonia? Or, I can't believe that's a begonia, yes. In fact, that, w- that would be a good show theme. I, you know, I can't believe it's not that's, that's a begonia, because uh, it, it's amazing. Uh, the leaves can be palmate, they can be long and thin. There's uh, one begonia that comes from Madagascar that grows like a clump of grass. And unless you look really closely and it's in bloom, you'd probably think it was just the, you know, a tuft of some sort of uh, succulent grass growing. So they, it's quite variable in, in what they can look like, even in color. Their colors go red, yellow, orange, purple, violet, uh, plus all the, the, the various types of greens. And if people are, again, just picturing begonias as what they see at a big box store, which are bedding plants, low-growing bedding plants, talk about the height of some of those show winners at the Begonia Show. Sacramento, for the, it's been a hot summer. We don't have any really, really tall ones. We have some three-, four-foot ones. But one of, one of my hybrids, it, my, my, one of my favorite stories, it grows very well to three-, four feet in a pot. Went to visit a friend up in Chico, and she has a huge enclosed area uh, greenhouse she said hey go in there and look and so I walked in I'm wandering around you know really jam-packed with stuff and she says go stand over there and I did she says now look up and I looked up and these begonia flowers are hanging down over my head and it was that hybrid that grows three to four feet in a pot she had planted in the ground and it was up about 14 feet what is the temperature range of her greenhouse uh, actually, I, I think she has a, a heater, obviously, being in, in Chico, but um, basically Sacramento, um, you know, it, it, it'll, it'll probably get to be about 80 or 90 in there. Uh, I don't know what it goes down to in the winter, but that plant liked it. Yeah, I would say so. What, what are the minimum temperatures uh, for a begonia? You know, it's becoming more variable now, Fred. Uh, a whole new line of begonias has been uh, discovered in the Himalayan foothills, and they will grow outside here in Sacramento year-round. Uh, they'd grow better, you know, if you give them frost protection. But um, uh, we have one grower who specializes in and he has plants where even if it, the temperatures get down 26, 27, they, they come back for him. I mean, obviously, they'll, they'll freeze to the ground, but in the spring, they're they're ready and they charge back, and you never know anything happened to them over the winter. Now, the beauty of going to a show like uh, the Begonia Show going on today at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center from uh, 10 a.m. to 3 o'clock is not only are you going to see these show winners, but if you want to purchase a begonia, they're there. And if you have questions about begonias, there are experts there to answer those questions. Yes, sir. 
well, well said, and then we will, we'll try our best to, to answer whatever questions you have. Yeah, and the begonia plants that you're offering for sale are, are fairly reasonably priced, too, aren't they? Well, unfortunately, as is in the whole industry, they are going up. They're, you're not going to find them for 3 or $4 like you could a decade ago. But we have plants uh, basically in the $10, $12, $13 range. All right, good starter so plants. Most of them are, are you know, well-grown look real good. All right, and it's going on again at the Shepherd Garden and Art Center, 3330 McKinley Boulevard here in Sacramento in McKinley Park. Great venue. It's an indoor venue. Do you have uh, begonias outside as well, or are they all inside? Uh, Some of our sale plants are on tables outside. Okay, but uh, you can see the show winners and ask questions. Are there any uh, demonstrations going on today? Uh, Today we'll have uh, a... a, Gosh, I don't know the time. Sorry, Fred. Uh, it, it will probably be in the early afternoon. Uh, um, begonia culture, basically the, the 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 basics on on how to how to grow a good begonia, and then at one o'clock we have our uh, annual uh, tea tea and cookies where we thank the the public for coming by. They can come by and grab a cup of tea or punch and have a a homemade cookie or two and spoil the diet and have a good time with us. There you go. The name of the show is Begonia Jewels. It's a judged plant show and sale put on by the local chapter of the American Begonia Society, the Joan Coulot Sacramento branch, and it's going on today at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center, 10 a.m., 3 p.m., and uh, unless you changed your mind, it's free, isn't it? It's free. The parking's free in the, uh, the parking lot behind the building, which is where the main entrance is. We've stopped coming in through the front door. All right. Uh, we find it's just easier. All right, the Begonia Show. If you have nothing else to do and you want some air-conditioned comfort, head to the Shepherd Garden and Art Center today for the Begonia Show. Paul Samsis, thanks for your time today. Thank you very much, Fred. Enjoyed talking with you. Uh, but speaking of uh, the weather and maybe wanting some air conditioning, let's take a look at the weather and see what's in store for us the next few days. Uh, temperature today going to get up into the 90s, 86 right now, 98 the expected high, 97 on Monday and clear. Then the weather gets wacky. Yes, we're we may be entering fall. Chance of showers Monday night, 30% chance. 30% chance of showers on Tuesday in Sacramento. Tuesday night, 20% chance. Wednesday, 20% chance. And then it goes back to being mostly sunny. Now, usually when this forecast has this brief period of showers with a less than 50% chance, it usually historically becomes less and less of a chance of rain as that day gets closer. So, you know, maybe clean up uh, the yard as far as anything you don't want to get wet. Like that famous bag of concrete I was talking about earlier. Um, You may want to move that to some shelter. But there is that chance of rain. Thursday, mostly sunny with a high of 83. Friday, sunny, 86. Saturday, high near 84. So mild temperatures. Great for planting, and the soil will be a little bit more moist, easier to work. So, here is the story of which came first, orange the color or orange the fruit. You may remember the Garden Grappler winner winner used orange, and I immediately was wondering, I wonder what came first. I wonder if they were in a hurry to name the fruit and just said, oh, it's orange, let's call it an orange. Well, it turns out the citrus got named before the color did. According to the website Mental Floss, I don't know, 
Maybe it's accurate. Maybe it isn't. But it's a fun story. The earliest recorded use of orange, the fruit, in English is from the 1300s and came to us from the old French orange, adopted from the Arabic word narange, from the Persian word narang, from the Sanskrit naranga, which means orange tree. The Sanskrit word's origin, but it may have come from a Dravidian word meaning fragrant. So, the word's use as a color name didn't crop up for another 200 years after that, in the early 1500s. English speakers probably didn't have a specific name for the color until the fruit was widely available in their markets and inspired one. Before that, linguists believed people generally referred to the fruit as yellow-red. Orange is a lot classier of a name than yellow-red. So, uh, there you go. Something to entertain the folks with when you have a lot of trivia that you want to share. All right, so basically the fruit came before the color. How about that? When we come back, we're speaking of citrus and oranges, we're going to be making some citrus bushes and how to do it. When we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. We're at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center talking with Quentin Young, Master Gardener. He's also the manager of Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery. And Quentin, I am admiring this row of citrus that is behind the vineyard here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. There looks to be about a dozen citrus varieties. And you talk about backyard orchard culture. These aren't citrus trees. They're citrus bushes. And there's been a lot of confusion over the years about whether you could prune a citrus to keep it at a manageable height of six feet tall or so and yet produce fruit. I see a lot of fruit here. Yeah, these are really productive, and we do grow them in that bush-style habit. Now, how much pruning does it take to keep them at this size, and when do you do the pruning? We do shaping pretty much throughout the year, usually not in the winter, um, but usually starting around April, and we just shape them throughout the year to keep them rounded, get rid of any water sprouts. We always check to see if there's anything coming off of the rootstock. We always cut those off right away. And then as we get closer to winter, we want to make sure that we raise the skirts so that we don't have a lot of water splashing up into the tree, and also so that they're easy to cover for frost protection. Being only six feet tall, it'd be easier to drape them with a frost cloth. And what I like about them is the fact they're, their width is, is maybe six feet. So if you've got an area near a fence, you may only need maybe 10 feet or so because these trees are still, what, about four feet from the fence? Uh, yeah, about three to four feet from the fence. That's correct, yeah. And that's just excellent to, to allow you room to get between the tree and the fence because so many people plant so close to fences that just by maintaining like that three or four foot spacing away from the fence and then pruning the tree to keep it in a manageable shape. This is a fine row of citrus bushes here. What, what all is here? We've got um, limes, we've got mandarins, we've got lemons, grapefruit, oranges, a lot of things here uh, we grow because we want to see how they do here, also in how they taste. We want to see how popular they are, um, both for the master gardeners to try and for the average homeowner too. Now, I noticed this is on sort of a high piece here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. It, it slopes downhill, and the citrus is sort of on the upside of the hill. Was that done on purpose? I think it was done on purpose, and we haven't had any problems in terms of irrigation. 
The citrus seem to get enough water. We do monitor them throughout the year, but in general, they've been very easy to take care of. Um, the most common pest that we have right now is a citrus leaf miner, but it's more cosmetic, um, and we just sort of recommend that you either leave the leaves or cut them out if they bother you. But in general, they're, they're fairly low maintenance. How are they being irrigated? Uh, we have micro sprayers on them, and we basically uh, spray out to the drip line. And currently, I think they are on for one hour per week. So these uh, micro sprayers, it looks to be about four under each tree? Uh, yeah, we have about three to four. We want a full circle under the drip line, so, away from the trunk. So each of the spray patterns is, is a quarter circle? A quarter circle. There might be a few half circles under there. All right. And uh, usually those micro sprayers, mini sprayers, put out eight to 12 gallons of water per hour, per depending. Hour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you have it on for how long about and how many times? During the, when we had that triple digit heat, we we're usually running it for about an hour per week. And we should point out that... The ground here is heavily mulched. How deep is the mulch underneath these citrus trees? At least four to six inches of wood chips. Any problem with uh, maintaining the mulch uh, as close to the trunks as you have? Uh, no, we, we, tr we try not to pile it up against the trunk, but in general, the biggest problem we sometimes have with the mulch are the turkeys digging up around here. But in general, no, the, um, the mulch, the only time we move the mulch is when we fertilize in the spring, and that's really about it. And then we just reapply it probably about two or three times per year. So while I was standing here during the workshop uh, admiring this row of citrus trees, a uh, lady came up to me and asked me why the Moro uh, blood orange, or not the Moro, but the, the blood orange does not have any fruit on it. Uh, from, I, I don't know. That's a good question. My, my Moro at home tends to be an alternate bearer. So I think we had a good crop last year, maybe not a good crop this year. That's what I told her. I hope she believed me. The um, Now, you, I don't see any avocados in this. No, the avocados are down in the orchard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's bring that up then. How are the avocados doing? The one in the barrel is doing really well. The little cotto, the holiday that's in the ground is really giving us fits. All right. So you have, what other varieties do you have there? Uh, we just have those two um, holiday. We have those two varieties of avocados in the orchard because they're uh, dwarf. Right. Yeah. So the uh, little cotto, you might recommend to Sacramento area avocado experimenters? Yeah, especially in a wine barrel. It seems to make it happier because we can control the moisture level of the soil better. All right. What about pruning a normal avocado tree? If, if somebody wanted to plant a bacon or a zutano or a gem or a bacon or a Mexicola varieties that have a history of, of making it here, can you prune those like you prune these citrus trees to keep them at six feet tall and still produce? There is some information on the Internet about keeping them lower. Um, apparently, some growers are trying to grow them lower and closer together. Um, as an experiment with our holiday, we did cut it in half to see if we could get it to grow a little bit better and get a lower scaffolding branch system. But the jury's still out on how, how it's doing overall. All right. Are, are they too young to be bearing fruit? Yes, way too young, yeah. Well, that's an experiment for the future it is. here. It is an yes. experiment, and we all, the other ones that we have next to it are uh, a cherimoya and then two types of tropical guavas. And again, it's just an experiment to see how well they do in the orchard. All right. Yes, it, it's interesting the, the amount of experimentation going on here uh, to grow tropical fruits here. I mean, you've tried in the past uh, year or so with uh, papaya. What happened there? We did papayas, and they didn't make it through the winter at all. They just turned to mush. And again, we, you know, maybe if, if you were, let's say, a homeowner and you had a greenhouse, you could afford a more protection. Um, but at the orchard, we basically covered them with frost cloth, and that did not seem to be enough protection, either from the, the rain or the cold. 
All right. Here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, citrus tree, deciduous fruit trees, grapes, vegetables, ornamentals, perennials, trees, shrubs. It's all here. You can get some great ideas for your own backyard when you come out and visit the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. Quentin Young, Master Gardener, thanks for a few minutes of your time. Thanks, Fred. By the way, Quentin Young is going to be on this very radio program next week, as well as on the KFPK Garden Show. Quentin, who manages Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery and is a master gardener, knows his stuff. He loves his exotic uh, vegetables, too. He's traveled the world, and I'm sure he'll have a lot of suggestions for us for uh, cool season vegetables that you may not be familiar with. So we'll be uh, talking to him one-on-one and with your input as well next Sunday on this very electric radio show. Uh, hey, you know what's coming up next is the KSTE Farm Hour after the news at 12 o'clock. And uh, we're going to be talking about immigration and farm labor and how one California legislator is introducing a bill, AB 450, to make it tougher for agents to enter your farm or your workplace looking for illegal immigrants. According to unofficial surveys, the percentage of undocumented workers on California's farms could be as high as 50%, but you still need them. The crops don't pick themselves, all right? And most people here don't want to do that work. But uh, this is one way to keep ICE agents from uh, illegally entering your workplace, AB 450, so we'll have a report on that. Also, a very scathing report about uh, really, a lack of oversight of the problems at Oroville Dam and the spillway. It's a scathing report by an independent panel that points out that a lot of the inspections over the years at Oroville Dam and probably other dams throughout California were just cursory inspections. They really didn't delve into underlying problems, and that's where the problems lie at uh, Oroville Dam was beneath the concrete, and so it's a rather scathing report, so we have details about that. Also, we look at the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey, what it did to Texas agriculture, and we have a closer look at farming and agriculture in Placer County. A lot of crops grow there, and we'll talk about those with their uh, uh, farm director at uh, Placer County, and we'll be doing that on the KSDE Farm Hour between noon and 1 o'clock on this very radio program, the KSDE Farm Hour, which is also available as a podcast from KSDE.com, the iHeartRadio app, or your favorite podcast aggregator. One of my favorite programs. All right. All right. Time for me to get on out of here, making room for the news and the KSDE Farm Hour. I mentioned Quentin Young will be on this program next week. I hope you can uh, join us at that time, as well as for Get Growing. And don't forget, or as well as for the KFPK Garden Show, don't forget both shows are available as podcasts at uh, the KFPK Garden Show, available at kfpk.com and at the iHeartRadio app, iTunes, uh, whatever podcast aggregator you're using, and get growing from kste.com, the iHeartRadio app, and your third-party podcast aggregators, as I'm fond of saying. So it's all there for you. So uh, check it out, if you will, please. Have yourself the rest of a great weekend. Hey, if it rains, enjoy it Tuesday and Wednesday. We'll see. I don't know. It's still kind of early. It's still summer. Have a great week and a weekend. Bye-bye.